the dark side of being a millionaire. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. See, what was the facial expression because there? It's, it's the, this is a visual medium. <laughs> You have to you have to give people something so that way if you listen to this in podcast terms every now and then guys I mean I'm a cartoon character you have to come check out the visuals to know what you're missing you're only getting half the experience if you can't see it live what I think is so fun about this show Brian is uh, all the time we talk about uh, happy uplifting positive we're just generally optimistic people I think so we always try to have like a positive thing that we're sharing with our audience but this is a little bit different because we wanted to kind of talk about you know not Things aren't always uh, rainbows and unicorns. Sometimes even there is a dark side to good things. Yeah. And that's kind of what we wanted to share in today's episode. Yeah, well, it's one of those things because I know a lot of everybody, we have an entire society that is built upon get here, do this. Do this in your 20s. Then Look, we have our own series. We love our Net Worth by Age yep. series. And it's supposed to give you the tools and techniques and things so you know what to focus on when. But I do feel like that there's also, while we're giving these tools and sets of things that you should be looking at and focusing on, there's industries out there that are trying to say, hey, in your 20s, live this way. And look, I, I just told everybody pre-show, I just came back from Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. I was shocked at how many watch shops, luxury handbags, belts, and other stuff. And it hit me. I was like, this is the game. If 32-year-old Brian or 33-year-old Brian wanted Rolexes, Brightlings, tags, now 40, late 40s, Brian. Just like, he was about to say I was mad that I didn't bring the charger to my, my Apple Watch. <laughs> I mean, because I just didn't get the steps recorded. So it's just funny how there is a whole system out there in society pushing you on what you should try to be accomplishing, how mm -hmm. you should spend your money. We wanted to help you avoid the dark path, avoid the pitfalls, and make sure that you're having a healthy relationship with money. I want to create a win-win-win. And what I mean by that is, is that I want your friends and family to be happy with how you are mm -hmm. with your relationship with money. I want you to be fulfilled with your relationship with money. And then I want your community to, community to benefit because you're making things better sure. all around you. So this can be a win-win-win situation. Yep. So let's jump into this because we broke this into all the different segments that you need to be mindful. And then we put money guy tips to make sure you navigate this well. Love so it. the first one is money can ruin your relationships. Yeah, I think this is one, uh, this is one that if you were to just poll people, hey, what's one of the downsides to money? One of the downsides of wealth? I feel like most folks would come up with this one pretty quickly because yeah. you kind of see horror stories of this in the news and with celebrities and with famous folks. It, it's no surprise that whenever there's money involved and certainly whenever there's either a little bit of money or a lot of money, things can get tenuous and stressful. We focused on, uh, you know, I was thinking about this as we were in show note prep. Um, we focused on significant others, mm -hmm. you know, relationships between couples. But I will tell you one of the saddest things that I experienced as a financial planner is the residual effect of when families fight over money too. Yep. So it is, this is not just for couples. Money can mess up all types of relationships. And we had a, a pretty shocking stat to kind of kick this off. It was 35% named finances as, a, as the primary trouble spot with their partner. And, and I think that was one of the largest, and this was data from uh, from a SunTrust study. Yep. I think that finances was one of the single 
largest causes of stress in uh, a marriage relationship or a spousal relationship. And then I thought it was, if you know, because that one, by the way, we, I made them put the word research because that looked like that was this slide brought to you by SunTrust <laughs> Bank, you know, which, which kind of scared me, but it was just a research study they had. But then the Federal Reserve Board actually, because the government is compiling data at all times, I thought this was interesting. Mismatches between couples' credit scores can be the biggest indicator, one of the bigger indicators that your your marriage or your relationship is headed for a tough spot easily within the first five years. Yeah, you know, now that one, I always, I found that one really, really interesting when we were kind of talking about that because that's not something I immediately think of. Whenever I'm talking to like, you know, have friends getting married or when I'm talking to clients or thinking about getting married, I never really ask them the question, hey, have, have you guys done a comparison of your credit scores? That's just not <laughs> something, but it is interesting if you think about behaviorally, mm -hmm. it probably does tell you a lot about the behaviors and actions of the person that you're going to join into this long-term commitment There's with. There's a reason your insurance company bases a lot off of your credit score. So it is one of those things that I thought was interesting when, when I was doing data research for mm -hmm. the show. Divorce. But we talk about all the time that the quickest way to lose half of your net worth is to go get divorced. Absolutely. But there's actually, now this is this data's got a little age to it, because this is from the mid-2000s around December of 2005. Um, there was a study from marriage and divorce's impact on wealth. This didn't say 50%. What did it say the actual wealth impact was? It, it says the average wealth drop is actually 77% as a result of divorce. So Attorneys must be expensive. Three quarters. Not only do you lose <laughs> half, but then you pay the, what you have left. It's just not a, a wonderful endeavor. If you're thinking about wealth building, this is the exact opposite of that. So you just want to make sure that as you build resources, you build wealth, you understand how it can affect relationships. So let's talk about how you can ensure. These are the money guy tips to get you through all these issues. The first one is I want you to control and focus your inner voice. Now, look, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? We all do it. You're not a weirdo that you have something that goes on. You're constantly talking to yourself. At least I hope you are. That or I'm cray-cray. <laughs> or either you're the only one talking to yourself. But I'm hoping that most of you guys talk to yourself a lot more than you even probably realize. And you don't that, – that we talk about the invisible hand of success mm -hmm. all the time on yep. the show. Is that you got to wake up that invisible hand to get you from destination A to B, and B is where you want to be, and, and it, literally. <laughs> so it's one of those things that – that inner voice is so much more powerful. It works with money. It works with your success in your career. And it definitely works in relationships. So you have to focus on, on, on what that inner voice is saying. And one of the greatest pieces of advice is that one of the greatest pieces of advice you ever gave me, Brian, you gave this to me when I first got married. And I was talking to you about, you know, because when you get married, it's just unique mm -hmm. figuring out how to live and work with someone else. And you said, here's what's really interesting about the inner voice. We, our inner voice all has a predisposition. It's either inherently negative or inherently positive. And sometimes you don't get to control where it starts. Right. What you do get to control is where it finishes. And you can actually control what the inner voice in your head is saying. And I think when you reframed me to realize that, it was a game changer that I could actually control what that voice was saying. Those voices that you're whispering into your own head are more powerful than you realize. So give them credit, give them respect, make it positive. Number two, you got to find balance. I know I, whenever I see the word balance, I, when somebody, especially because it makes me think of everybody saying work-life balance, you know, it's so touchy-feely uh -huh. and it's not really because I'm an analytical thinker on things, but it really is. And Bo, you said this, don't prioritize career advancement for yourself over relationship building. What do you mean by that? Yeah, a, a lot of folks, uh, they will go uh, try to conquer the next mountain, try to conquer the next hill, try to go achieve the success, go 
do the next thing, not realizing the collateral damage that relationships, whether it's significant others, family, children, whoever it may be, that they're leaving in the wake. So you just have to be careful that getting to the top of the mountain doesn't force you to sacrifice all the people that are along the journey with you. I'm going to go ahead and blow up something, put it out there that is, you're going to see it's a theme throughout this show. Because I want everybody to know, having assets does not complete the fulfillment right. cycle. You don't get fulfillment from having assets. That's what people get so lost on. And then later we're going to share that it's not the money that creates the fulfillment. It can provide some form of happiness. That's right. I don't want to miss it. I don't, I'm not saying being broke is good, but you just need to figure out how, what the relationship is. And that leads to number three on these money guy tips is relationships matter. What do I mean by that, Bo? Yeah. So there was actually a study done by the University of Chicago's National Opinion Research Center, and they found uh, that folks who have greater than five close friends, like really close, intimate, I'm going to call them best friends, yeah. they tend to describe, they're 50% more likely to describe themselves as very happy than those who don't have those close, intimate relationships. So imagine that herd humans, because we all, let's face it, why do stock markets perform the way they do is because Humans are herd animals. If y'all didn't realize that, we're no different than the zebras, the gazelles. You always the, say we're all sheep. I mean, with sheep, I mean, that's even better, is that you will follow, you'll do, the sheep will do what everybody else is doing. So it makes sense that we like to be around people. Relationships definitely matter. And this is, I thought this was, actually, I pulled this stat out last night at um, the Chick-fil-A drive-thru with my wife. And she's like, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> but it was, um, it was 40% of married couples are very happy. 25% of never married couples, or ne never married people, were, were very also happy. very happy. So there's already a... Over half of the glass is negative. That's right. People. So you, you just you need to figure out where you are and understand the value of having relationships. And that leads to number four is you've got to have a written plan. And it's better if it's a joint plan with your significant other. This is one of those things, and we've talked about this ad nauseum that um we said all the time, like you, if you if you have a goal, write it down, write it down, yeah. write it down. And we all hear that, but we don't actually do it. How many times have you actually sat down with your significant other or someone or a partner or a business partner, or whatever, and actually written down what your joint goals are? It's amazing how that that single step mm -hmm. can reframe the voices in your head and the actions that you take to implement your financial well, goals. Well, the whole thing about it being written. If you think about it, when I when I hear somebody talk about what they want to accomplish. That's what, if you think about a comic book, graphic novel, it's always the, it's a bubble that floats mm -hmm. above your head. So dreams will float away unless you do, you have to put a string on them to bring them, ground them a little bit. And that string is goals are recorded and measured. You need exactly to be able right. to come back and look at them. And then here's the thing on why I said it's better if it's a joint plan is that I, I'm amazed, like even in pre-show prep, I'm going on their next point, I'm going to be sharing a story that I thought everybody knew. I mean, and, and you're like, I've never heard that never story. Heard and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to share the story. So that's coming up. Um, and, it, and it's one of those things where I think that happens in relationships is that you have a goal, a desire, you have a plan that you are working on for your family of where you want it to be. But if you don't include your significant other, if you don't include family members, they just don't have the knowledge. And that's going to create conflict. That's going to create strife. It doesn't help you reach the goal. And, and let me give you a perfect example. I recently confessed in a show that the reason we don't have tight wide nation anymore is I'm kind of no longer 
a tight tightwad. Yeah. I mean, I'm still good with money. Don't don't mishear me. It's not like I'm out there setting it on fire. But it is one of those things where I had a conversation with my wife when we were in our 20s and 30s. I said, look, if we will just do it, live it tight, make sure we're still creating memories, but I want us to be very disciplined and regimented on where we're saving 20 to 25% for the future. I promise you, my commitment is if we do this, we will set ourselves up to where we will have the better life mm-hmm. later. We're now reaching that fulfillment of that sure. discussion. And it helps. So that's what I'm telling you. If you have a written plan, if you have a joint plan where you're discussing this, go on a date night and do your favorite vacation spots or create a five-year vacation dream list. All that stuff makes it much more fun. Both you were talking about, I remember when you first got married, you said on the flight on the honeymoon out, y'all were going to have a financial yeah, budget meeting, conversation. a budget what discussion. Else but I, I imagine you and your wife still kind of are, are doing plans, so you turn those dreams into reality. And what, what it allows you to do too, Brian, is it allows you, if you have the joint goals, then you can share in the sacrifices. Mm-hmm. I see it all the time where uh, uh, one spouse might have the goal of being financially independent, but if that's never communicated with the other spouse, this spouse doesn't know why every time they go to the store, they get yelled at or they have to turn in receipts or they have to focus. If you don't both understand the goals, you don't really both grasp the sacrifices and you have to be on the same page on both of those for it to, for it to work well. And the, and the last, because it ties into that though, if you have a goal and a plan, you won't hyper-focus right. on the stuff that doesn't matter. And you said something, number five I had on here, don't be a miser. Yep. There's a reason that we have Scrooge McDuck, that we have Ebenezer Scrooge and other things, is that there is a persona of people who get their money. Uh, I would even say Gollum from oh, uh, yeah. Lord the, of the Rings yeah. and the fact that, you know, mine, right? you know, it's just that my precious. You I, know, it, I knew he was going to do the freshest one. Well, yeah, I mean, it is one of those things where I, I want you to understand is that if you're so rigid on the goal of being rich, if that is your why, you're screwing it all up because what what it's going to do is, is I, I and you, you just said it in that last, because I had a friend who confessed that him and his wife were having some issues. And one of the big driving factors was, even though they had reached some financial success where there was more comfort financially, mm-hmm. he still had his wife giving him every receipt when she went to the gas stations and everything. Yep. He wanted to log it. He wanted to put it in his spreadsheet. He was creating a nightmare that's where right. his wife felt like he was being very controlling. Yep. And and I think that's something why you have to be very careful with, because you will literally drive your loved ones crazy if you don't have a plan that doesn't, you know, that makes it reasonable. That's exactly right. Um, and this is this is why we talk about forced scarcity. What I prefer, you know, budgeting is only supposed to be a temporary period thing. After you graduate from budgeting, you go to forced scarcity. We have all kind of shows and resources on that. I don't have to beat on it too much, but it is one of those things. You should be graduating from budgeting so you don't have to track every little thing and driving your spouse crazy. And then the last thing is, all work, no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yep. This is one of those things you got to build memories. You do not want to make it through your 20s and realize all you did was see eat Doritos and you know save money. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be a great thing to tell memories. Memories do blossom. They don't diminish. They actually get better over time. So make sure you are building time to having a purpose for that hard work. The, the one disclaimer I'm going to throw on that, because oftentimes when we say that, people mishear that. And if they go, well, I'm going I'm to go do all these things in my 20s and have all the right. experiences. There is still something to divert gratification. And your experience, just like your financial cir- circumstance graduates, so too will your experiences graduate. You might not 
aim to be doing the things in your 20s that possibly you should wait to your 40s to be doing. It's just nice to keep that grounded, yeah. uh, uh, sound mind in place. Um, let's transition to the next thing, because that was how being wealthy can ruin relationships. Let's talk about it can still leave you unhappy. Yeah, I think this one, a lot of we all hear the saying, money can't, can't buy happiness. But very few people actually like really believe that, right? They right. think, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, you say that. Let me win the lottery and I'll tell you if that's true or not, right? Isn't that what it, the, most people say? Because I, I, money, we think money's going to fix things. Mm-hmm. We think if I can just make this much or if I just have this amount of money in the bank, I will be okay. And that led to, I don't want, don't pull up, don't pull up the quote yet. Okay. But um, Jim Carrey, the, the, what's funny is full-time equivalent Daniel brought me a Jim Carrey quote. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, that is a great quote because for for those that this is the story that when I told this in pre-show y'all didn't know it. I never and, heard this. Story I was before. like, "Holy cow! How do you not know this story?" Jim Carrey. A lot of motivational people will point to Jim Carrey as how you should do things that can reaffirm goals. Because Jim Carrey in 1985, he was a struggling comedian slash actor. Probably comedian is what I was thinking. He was, he was primarily focused on. He was broke. I mean, he he come from dirt poor poverty. He's trying to make it in L.A. And he was looking at, you know, at his future, and he said, you know what, I'm going to write myself a $10 million check. Keep it in my wallet. I'm even going to put in the memo section for acting services rendered, and I'm going to cash this check within 10 years. So he was like speaking his success into existence. Yeah, right? so he was telling us, I'm going to write myself a $10 million check that will be payable in 10 years. He talked about this on Oprah. I mean, this was everywhere. Everybody was like, holy cow, that is such a powerful, powerful thing. So we all know the rest of the story is, is that around 1995, Don, he got paid, you know, it was this is after Pet Detective and all the other, the Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura stuff. Yeah. He got paid exactly $10 million for Dumb and Dumber. Okay. That was what his original, so he, it was, everybody's like, wow, you know, so it worked out to this beautiful, if you were writing a movie script, you're like, this is the way you do success. <laughs> so now I want to talk about the rest of the story. Bring up FTE Daniel's quote. All right. Uh, This is what Jim Carrey said. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Wait a minute. Whoa. Wait a minute. This is the guy that is being held up that if you just do this, if you write yourself a check, put it in your wallet... Do we even have checks anymore? So I don't know. I don't know. Do we write this on our debit card now? But (laughs) it is one of those things where it, it is... That's that's sad to me mm-hmm. because this is the guy that they push. And then let's go ahead and let's bring it down to even more pop culture. Maybe now here's the thing: Jim Carrey's story is getting older. That's yeah, why sure. y'all had not never heard, it. heard it. Maybe y'all never heard of this song. So <laughs> so pull up the lyrics on this one. Uh, so this one is from the notorious B.I.G. Biggie Smalls. Says, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. If I could sing in a soprano. Like the, the the ladies on that song, I would totally give that to you guys. But I, I just don't sing. So, that's not in my octave. Revy and I had a running bet. We had five dollars saying that you were going to sing on the show. Oh, I mean, you just a, did it! I, mean, it was, I, I, I was that was a hum because I can hear it in my head. But it is more money, more problems, no money, more mo- problems. But is you know you have to. But it is one of those things where why are we writing song lyrics if for people who supposedly have it all? So let's go deeper on if money is not going to give you everything you've ever wanted. Let's let's at least have a better understanding. We've done an entire show on happiness and money. And yep. here's what we've realized, and this comes from a lot of research that's out there. I mean, Tom even had a magazine, a special edition magazine on the science of happiness. Mm-hmm. And you see it everywhere. If you want to type in how much money you need to have to be happy, 
$75,000 is what you're going to find in all the Google searches. I think a lot of people are, are, are astounded to hear that. And there have been so many studies, and, and there have even been tangential studies talking about parenting and other stuff. That really is sort of a magnificent place. A lot of folks think, oh, I have to be a movie star. I have to be a celebrity. I have to have millions and millions and millions. The data kind of shows otherwise as it relates well, to happiness. I think we have to be clear, clear on this, though, because when they say $75,000 will buy you happiness, what they mean by happiness is they means it covers your necessities. Because they've done research. A person who goes from making $20,000 to $50,000, they are like twofold on the happy factor. They're like, woohoo! You know, it is huge. But when you go from $50,000 to $90,000, there's not much difference. So that's why it's kind of a Goldilocks calculation where they said, where is the threshold? Now, I realize everybody who lives in New York and California is going to start piling on sure. in the comments section here because it, it probably is underlisted for those high cost of living coastal areas. But it is, it's one of those things 75,000 is that sweet spot where a lot of life's necessities of housing, food, those type of things, you're not worried how you're going to pay for that. So but that's the, not fulfillment. And so one of the things we want to do is answer, okay, why is that the case? Why mm -hmm. is it that more money, more resources, more availability doesn't lead to an increased level of happiness? Even though there's entire industries trying to sell us buy, 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 consumerism is your friend. But it is. here's the thing. There was there was a few things. Number one, we o overestimate how much pleasure pleasure you'll get from having more. I mean, and this is the thing. Humans, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, are highly adaptive. Mm -hmm. You can go buy yourself the nicest sports car, even if you're coming from a Honda Accord, and it's going to be great for a period of time, but then there will come a time that you'll go, that's just a car. Just another car in my, my car. garage. Number two, more money can also lead to more stress. I mean, we saw that. What, I can't, what movie was it? It wasn't margin. Was it Margin Call or what? Where the guy talked about how a oh, yeah, million it was dollars. Oh yeah, Margin Call. Yeah, and he went through how quickly it spent and how quickly because he talked about his car payment, his house payment, and he's like, "No, I'm broke as a joke." Yep. And the guy's like, "How are you broke? You make a million dollars a year." And he goes, "Boom, boom, boom, boom." And he talked after taxes. I mean, it shows. So more money, because especially if you're having to work so much harder to get it. Number three, you endlessly compare yourself. With the family next door. The Joneses exist, and it's a real thing, and we, we all fall victim to that unless we implement some of the Money Guy tips to avoid that. So let's do some Money Guy tips. You need to know what money is and what money isn't. This thing's a tool, guys. It is straight up just a tool to help you take a little bit of your time to buy goods for, you know, survival, giving you food, giving you shelter. You need to understand this thing is not what you should focus your life on. And if if it's trying, if you have a hole and you think the money's going to fill that hole, what you're going to be very sad to find is that if you're like, okay, if I can just make this much, then I'll be happy. When you get there, it's going to be a little bit more. If I can just make this much, you get there, it's going to be a little bit more. And that vicious cycle will keep on and keep on and keep on if that's the hole you're trying to fill with money. Because what I'm hearing is you've got to know your why. And that's point two is why are you on the face of the earth? What have you been put here to do? What's the purpose? Because, and this is this sounds, and this ties in, if we know $75,000 will get you necessities, which means happy, basic happiness, because yep. it's covering the basics. What's the next step? What's the thing that has people looking, gazing out in the future going, man, that was a good thing. Or what's going to get you on Willie Geis's Sunday show as a life well-lived when they look back on lives, you know, people who've recently yep. deceased. It is the fulfillment comes from you have a purpose. That's right. That you, when you go to work every day, you feel like you're making a little bit of what you're doing is making the world a better place. That is what does it. So emotional well-being comes in at $75,000. 
but fulfillment comes from the way you feel about the direction you're moving things. And I think, so you had actually done this in like a, a math equation. So the emotional well-being plus the way you feel about your life's direction or fulfillment, that's what leads to happiness. Yeah, it's Covering a recipe the basics here. And then fulfillment. If you leave out, you know, key ingredients like sugar and cookies, you're not going to have good cookies. I can, I can assure you of that. So make sure you understand. So let's keep this thing moving. What's the next thing? Is it allows you, here's the dark side of wealth, is it allows you to get caught up in lifestyle creep? Yeah, I, I think that this is probably one of, the, one of the main reasons why millionaires specifically aren't happy. Yeah. I mean, Bo, you said this. Uh, I mean, we've said it on a previous show, and you brought me to so make sure we get that quote in there. You can price yourself outside of your happiness. Yeah, we've done a lot of, uh, we've, re- we've looked at a lot of research that suggests that if you are, the least wealthy of all the folks, like if you're the mm-hmm. least wealthy house in on the street in your neighborhood, there's a high likelihood you're going to be the unhappiest because of that comparison game. Well, and here's some shock and awe stats just to kind of put color to what you just shared. One in three people who trade in a vehicle are underwater in that vehicle. It's, uh, that, that, that stat alone flies in the face of the money guy 23.8. Yeah, you're buying vehicles you cannot afford. Um, the average American household owed... 80, close to $8,400 in credit card debt. In our opinion, credit card debt is a four-letter word. It you should not it. exist. It should not be carried over. Yeah, pay it off. If you, do, if you can't pay your credit card off month to month, you need to go cold turkey and just not even have credit exactly cards. Right. Go lock it up in the freezer in a jar, a glass of ice water or something like you hear people, consumer advocates talk about. Yep. You can tell them from Atlanta. Clark Howard. Clark Howard. Yep. But and then here's the other thing. 38 million Americans spend more than 30% of their income on housing, and that's up from 16 million in 2001. Once again, if you just follow some money guide tried and true steps, you want to keep all of your housing costs below 25% of your income. So these people are naturally making life decisions that are putting them in a very difficult financial spot. So we hear there's all kind of, if you go do some Google research on this, you'll see that there are people who talk about shopper stress, meaning that they, when they get stressed out, they go to the mall. Mm-hmm. They, what is it? Consumer Re- retail therapy, right? Retail therapy. Thank you. That is such a better sound to it than what <laughs> I, I was trying to put. Yeah, Consumers. We didn't talk about the show notes. I was just like, yeah, but I'm trying to describe. This is a human condition. Is that I think sometimes we think, and we're told this. It's whispered in our ear by the advertisers, where they're like, "If you're sad." You can buy yourself out of this. Just go do it. You can that's go, right. just go buy it. But and that's the but the, here's the reality of it: the hedonic treadmill. And I remember when I found this concept, I was like, yes, this explains it. This ties into so many other things, the Diderot effect and yep. so forth that we've done shows on. But the hedonic treadmill really describes the fact that when you're going, you need to understand that human nature easily adapt. Mm-hmm. So if you're going through a horrible situation, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the, the truth. Go ahead and change as many things as possible so that you're only miserable. You grouped all your miserable things all, all once. Together. Meaning that if you went from a six-figure job and now you are basically not making anything, don't slowly make changes because you'll just slowly keep yourself miserable. Mm-hmm. Make those changes very quickly. Yeah. But it's the opposite on the upside of things is, is that we will adapt. So that's why when people come into windfalls, they will immediately they think, well, I'll just go buy a house and that will be it. No, you typically go then buy a car and then they're going to go buy the lake house and they're going to go buy, and they'll do all these things all at once. And then they're going to come to the end of it and be like, oh, I did all the things. I got to go bigger to get the same exactly feeling right. I got. I'd rather you space those life events out because that dopamine hit 
is very short. We adapt very quickly. We see this all the time. You know, we'll have folks that maybe uh, sell a business or they come into a large windfall of assets. We always tell them, hey, let's slow roll the life expansion. Okay, if you want to improve the house, that's great. Let's do that, but let's not buy the new car next month. Yeah. Let's not take that once-in-a-lifetime vacation. Let's do it slowly so you actually give your brain enough time to enjoy the thrill of that thing that you've just done. That thing so when you get the, the hit of accomplishment, it's fun each and every step. That's where that, that helps. That's a, definitely a great coping mechanism. And I just and also don't get caught up in the what's in the I always say in the literature package, mm -hmm. you know, the marketing in kit, the, the commercial, the brochure is, gosh, you are, thank God, you can tell I just got back from a trip because this <laughs> thing is only working. It's like a little foggy and then I've got you to be the beacon of light. I'm going to call you Rudolph. Get <laughs> me through the foggy <laughs> night. Um, he, just, <laughs> he, just, he just gave himself Santa and I'm Rudolph. Did you hear that? That's because what just It is one of those things because you daydream. I think a lot of people, and it was even worse back in the 80s when you had Robin Leach telling us the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And in the 90s, you had MTV cribs where people were saying look you just need to have this yacht you need to have this this uh -huh. is where the magic is going to make you happy the truth is you go buy the yacht and then you're gonna be seasick on it and then you're gonna be <laughs> seasick that you had to pay all these people to take care of it just save yourself a lot of trouble yep. don't get caught on the hedonic treadmill or at least understand how the hedonic treadmill works with human nature yeah there's a really popular saying you know people we get caught up buying things that we don't need to impress people that we don't care about anyways. Yeah. And I think if you can just recognize that, I, I don't want a yacht, no matter how much success yeah. I have, it's just not something I want to do because I don't want to be stuck out in the middle of the ocean board. I think if you can have that in your mind, you will set yourself up for success long term. So let's go through some money guy tips to keep us from messing this part up. Number one, hyper-focus on what you love. What, right. what do we mean by that, Bo? Yeah, learn what creates happiness for you and your family and do more of that thing. There's nothing wrong with uh, if you want a nicer house so you can do more things or a bigger yard or a kitchen where you can entertain. If those things bring you happiness and fulfillment, then do it for that purpose. Don't buy the bigger house simply because I just want the bigger house because that's what so-and-so did. Make sure it's something that you love because there's a lot of marketers, there's lots of advertising on this is what happiness looks like, but you might find... You actually enjoy, and I'm going to go counterculture. If you love getting coffee every day, you know, and that's one of your things, but you're reaching out to the Maybe it's okay that you have the espresso machine in your house. Maybe it's okay that you're going and seeing the beautiful art that your barista puts uh -huh. on there. I mean, that's okay because it brings you focus. You have to find what truly makes you happy. Don't do what the advertisers tell you. So, you know, that, that's the thing I think people get caught up in. Buying that brand name is not going to necessarily make you exactly happy. Exactly right. Number two, create emotional decision protection. I am so worried about the retail therapy that I think that you have to create essentially guardrails so that you keep yourself on the straight and narrow of driving towards financial independence. So just because you can doesn't mean you should. What do I mean by that? <laughs> yeah, I, I just I think it's so interesting, Brian, because I'm going to share a little bit of a, This is a little personal confession right now. Uh, you mentioned two things right there, and these two tie together for me. Uh, I do love coffee. I love espresso drinks. Uh, and I right now am in the process and have been in the process for like the last 10 months of buying mm -hmm. an espresso machine for the house. And I just can't pull the trigger. But the reason I can't pull the trigger is because I'm creating this emotional decision protection, making sure this is something I'm actually going to use, actually going to want, actually going to get utility out of, because it's not like the cheapest 
purchase in the world, but I do think it's going to add to my overall utility. But rather than just seeing in the YouTube video and going out and buying it, I said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to slow down, make sure I understand how this thing works, how will I use it, how will it fit into my daily routine. Because I put those things in, I've actually protected myself now three times from buying the wrong espresso machine. Well, I also think you just said something key there. The research, the due diligence period actually could be part of the fulfillment exactly journey right. with the purchase and the relationship. I think, and I want you guys to follow me on this. I have a client. They're actually a money guy client, and she's going to listen to this. Super successful. Her and her husband, very successful. She's an incredible financial decision maker. Probably could have done this in another life, been her own financial planner. She lets me know that they've decided they want to buy an RV. When I hear somebody that, because I've done shows with mistakes you hope your friends and family make, RVs are on that list because uh-huh. they don't typically work out. But she did this over like a, I kid you not, a two to three year period mm-hmm. where this was a goal. She hyper-researched it. it I, could t- I told her, I said, because after she had gone through the purchasing process but then pulled out right at the end, I was like, I'm starting to think you're like me. You enjoy more of the research than the actual, actual doing act it. of doing because it. Yep. it is the journey of it, but it, it, it brings it in. So make sure you have those coping skills. But I want to put the guardrails up. With why you, another thing with this due diligence period, guys, if you will set in your head a dollar amount that you just go put a cool off period, you'll probably protect yourself from buying something crazy. So you like, mean like if I'm going to spend over $500, I'm not going to do it that day. I'm going to wait. It's going to be very myself- specialized to every person, but this will keep you from buying a car. I mean, Christmas time, we just got through it and I'm always amazed. I can't, I think it might be General Motors where they show two brand new cars in the driveway and he's With like, big I old- got you one and I got me one. And they're both like, yeah. I think most spouses, when they see this, they're like, Oh my God, I would kill him. I'd kill her if, she, if they did this. But this is what the consumerism of the marketing agencies tell us. But if you will put a cool off period, if you'll put in due diligence research that creates a journey of, you know, really that's where the fulfillment will come from. It will keep you from making those decisions. I love it. So let's, and then number three, get out of the fast lane. Stop the madness of comparing. Mm-hmm. Go I, ahead, Bill. I, I think human nature naturally causes us to do that. We mm-hmm. naturally... Think about what we have, what we see somewhere else. And, and here's here's the unsettling truth. And again, this is some Brian Preston wisdom that was laid on me a long time ago. There's always going to be someone who has more. Yeah. There's always going to be someone who's a little bit further along, a little more achieved, a little more successful, has a little bit more money, has a little more resource. You're just not going to be able to keep up. And we've even talked about this. You know, we have clients that we consider to be wildly successful. I mean, by by normal standards. But with the folks that they run in circles around, they see like, yeah. Upper echelon, wildly successful. And it's amazing how much we allow that to influence our happiness and where we are just based on looking at others. Wealth is relative. And there will exactly always, right. so if you can train that inner voice, that inside inner voice to understand there's always, and tell, tell yourself this, actually whisper this to yourself is there's always going to be somebody who has more than me. And then I want you to do a, a step two to that. I want you to look at yourself and reground yourself and go, Man, I sure am thankful mm-hmm. that I, I have this. I sure yep. am because if you will take the negative, flip it back around to a blessing you have going on in your life, I'm telling you, it will reground you. Because Bo, you also had a, a President Teddy Roosevelt quote that, that I thought was great. Yeah, he said, uh, "Comparison is the thief of joy." And the more I think about, it, the more true it is. The more that I compare what I have going on to someone else or some, it just. It, it causes me to lose happiness for no reason, and there's just no point in doing that. Well, and, and I want to save you because there's a reason I titled this Get Out of the Fast Lane. I think a lot of guys, I'm in my getting to be in my 
mid, we'll say mid, but I'm getting closer to late 40s. And one of the things I've realized, I've seen a lot of people go through midlife crises. And what happens in a midlife crisis is you're told by society in my 20s, if I conquer this goal, it'll be great. And in my 30s, so in your 20s, it's like, get out of college, get a good job. Mm-hmm. 30s, make sure that I'm doing everything for the family where I got, you know, the the, the kids, the house, we're doing it all. And then in your 40s, I think there's a lot of people, you're on the interstate of life, that rat race, and you're like, woo, 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 you're moving so quick. And then you start looking around going, what the heck am I doing in the fast lane? Why am I here? And that's where I think the middle life crisis yeah. comes in for a lot of people is they start questioning their why because they were sold a false bill of goods by the marketing agencies, by all yep. the retail therapy. And that's why you got to make sure you get out of the fast lane, figure out what actually brings you fulfillment and happiness because it can't be something that an advertiser defines for you. That's exactly right. So that let's lead to, because that's a great transition point to the next part of dark side of wealth is it can ruin the next generation. Yeah, and, and I think this may be the saddest one, uh, Brian, because the statistics we're going to share here are a little alarming. And so we want to talk about how you can build wealth, reach financial independence, but ultimately, how, how do you leave a successful financial legacy and let it, instead of letting it fall to the dark side? If you want to know the biggest boogeyman hiding under the bed of wealthy parents, mm-hmm. it's how do I not screw my kids up? Yep. I mean, you see it. And um, but, but let's give them some shock and awe here with some stats, sure. Bo. Uh, so you, if you've listened to this for any amount of time, you, you, you've, you've seen these stats. But if you think about your pizza pie, you're building up wealth right now, and you have this 100% of the pizza pie. Well, statistically, 70% of wealthy families lose their fortune by the second generation. So 70% of wealthy families, all the hard work you put in, all the money that you built up is wiped out by the second generation. Taking that even a step further, 90% lose their wealth by the third generation. It's, it's so sad. And, and this is because I usually, I, taking a negative and turn it positive, I constantly tell people, and I hold this out as an exciting thing, is that depending on which research study you look at, from the millionaire next door, I think it was like 86%. Um, you know, everyday millionaires, it was 80%. Mm-hmm. And then the next millionaires, next door, Sarah's update to her father's research, it was well north of 80%. Is millionaires, by numbers, if you look at the total population of who millionaires are, eight, over 80% are first generation. So that's actually exciting for everybody who's out there. You don't come from money yep. like us. Uh-huh. You're like, this means the door is open. I can get my foot into the opportunity of creating a seven-figure of wealth for my family through financial independence. But there has to be a negative to that stat, mm-hmm. and it really is that pizza pie yeah. that we just showed. Is because in order for 80% plus to be first-generation millionaires, that means there's a lot of wealth that's going down the drain of that's life. That's exactly right. It, and, and I think what's so funny is on the financial journey, what I have found, Brian, that most folks, they make a transition from the positive thought to the negative thought. I mean, you've yeah. been there. We talked about, man, it's so awesome that we can build this thing. And as we've had some success, yeah. now we're thinking about, oh, man, how do how do we train our kids well to not screw this up? To so not it's, just and that's why we talk about doing the matching contributions and other things so because you can Really start some things young to hopefully help out. So here's the money guy tips. You got to quit swimming upstream. You got to help the kids focus on experiences rather than things. I mean, because it's just bad. Yeah. And, and, you know, we try to be very, uh, and because sometimes this happens outside of our control. We try to be very uh, careful and like our kids and how we like give them presents and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. 
but sometimes you can't control that because the grandparents and all and others. So one of the things that we've said is every year for our kids' birthdays, we're going to alternate. One year we do like a party and presents, and the next year, because they're born in the same month, we do a trip. Yeah. And I'm hoping that by doing that, we can enforce that the experiences that we're able to generate and the memories we're able to have as a family matter way more than the gifts that you're going to get that are going to be old and in the garage a month from now. Because memories blossom. I said that multiple times. They get better with age. That's why, you know, you hear all the country songs and everything else about enjoy the kids and the poopy diapers because it'll be gone in a split second. But here's the thing, you know, and I can say this even about bad things like even the passing of my father. Mm -hmm. He went through, you know, leukemia that drained a man who weighed 270 down to less than 100 pounds. And you lose all that negative stuff. You only remember the memories blossom. The same thing happens with your kids. So focus on experiences because that builds memories. Things, I don't care how nice the car you buy, unless you're in there buffing it out and, and you know and cleaning it up, it's going to start having decay yep. and rot. Things get old. I mean, it's so funny of what you can go buy, even like millionaire estates. The land is valuable. But if you go into what you know J.R. Ewing from Dallas had in the 80s, you'd walk in and go, Oh my gosh, that <laughs> color scheme. I mean, it's just true about things. So focus on experiences. Underindulge. This mm-hmm. is something um, full-time equivalent Daniel talks about all the time when we're, we're in show meetings is that if you can not go out to eat so much as your kids don't appreciate it anymore or the stuff, you know, don't do things too much that it becomes a given versus an exciting event exactly for, right. for you and your family. And then spend on someone else or volunteer on someone else. That is so powerful. We all, you know, it, it's, it's common sense or not, it's common knowledge that, you know, it's better to give than to receive. That's something, if, if you are wealthy and you have resources, but you can show your children how you use those resources for the benefit of others, that's going to leave a, a way deep, remarkable impression on them. And you don't even know how, how much of an impression that's going to leave until later on in life. It's a huge thing if you can start that at an early age. There was um, a big, because this ties into an earlier show we did on money and happiness mm-hmm. in the relationship. And there was a big takeaway. If you want to go watch the full show, I cite all the research, where the research came from. But this is where the 75000 came from and all these other things. But there was a key takeaway from this research project. They were trying to figure out who were the people that were the most fulfilled with money, had the best relationship. There were four key traits, and we wanted to kind of close the show out with this. Number one was faith. And when they said th- faith, now look, they, they didn't go into any denomination or different belief. They just said thinking of things not of this world mm-hmm. can actually be a humbling yet centering and as well as give you clarity mm-hmm. on understanding what you're doing. Number two was family. We've already heard that in today's show is that you have to have a solid family. The more relationships, as you cited, cited in the research, five or more relationships, you were more than double likelihood of, of increasing, being very, being very happy. Number three, community. Being charitable to others is very powerful. That works with the kids too. And then number four, work. You might as well, since you're going to spend the majority of your life doing this, you might as well really like what you're exactly doing and right. feel like every day you're making things better by doing the work that you're doing. I think if you can instill these ideas in the next generation, in your kids, there's a good chance you won't be one of those statistics. There's a good chance yours won't be part of the 70% that squanders the first generation. Now, I put in here an an outro, and it's got a slide, and I want you to go through this pretty quick, Bo, because I put this on purpose, is that as after I did the show prep, after we wrote the show notes for this, I was like, wow, that is full circle 
to something that has really helped me out in my life. You know, I have it back here on the shelf is The Millionaire Next Door. And then we had, you know, Dr. Stanley's daughter on, Sarah, because she's, mm-hmm. she's also a doctor at UGA Go Dogs. You know, and Sarah's brilliant, too. And she wrote The Next Millionaire Next right. Door that we, we, we've covered. But these were the seven, if you think about, these were the, the seven factors of what creates millionaires. What do they have in common? Re- go through these really quick, Bo. Yeah, so what we determined, or what the, the research determined, uh, was that number one, they live below their means. That's a common trait of millionaires. Number two, they allocate their time, energy, and money efficiently. They understand the value of what they do and how and why they do it. Number three, financial independence is more important than displaying high social status, so they don't try to keep up with the Joneses or constantly swim upstream. Number four, their parents did not provide economic outpatient care. There's that uh, uh, underindulging. I know that's hard. We want to give our kids everything, but it shows this is what leads to it. Keep going. Uh, Number five, probably because of that, their adult children are economically self-sufficient. They are officially (laughs) off of mom and dad's payroll. Number six, they are proficient in targeting market opportunities. They recognize opportunities that present itself. And then number seven, they chose the right occupation. Like I said, you go spend a lot of time at work. And, and here's the thing. I, what's funny is because we've done fire episodes, and I, I've, I've shared some of these. When I was 25, I said, when I was like 16, I said, I'm going to, when I'm 25, I'm going to buy a Corvette. <laughs> I got a 25. I had no desire to buy a Corvette. And it was the same thing. When I started working in the job, I was like, I'm going to save enough money that and that's why as we get closer, I mean, we'll be at 2025 in no time. I remember thinking that around 2025, I, I don't want to work anymore. I, I told myself that when I first started work. I know you don't worry. I'm t- and I think a lot of fire people fall in this. Guys, I'm quickly approaching the age I'll be at 2025. I have no desire slowing down because uh-huh. you, you just if you choose well and you actually are working a job that you feel like it checks those boxes of fulfillment that you are making the world a better place. You really will. What is it? Warren Buffett talks about whistling on your or tap dancing to tap work. Tap dance to work. Ta- yep. and then, but, or whistle while you work, like you know the seven dwarfs uh-huh. do. All there's a reason that those things are out there in pop culture is because if you will enjoy it, it's full circle to what we were talking about. And this is we we have a, a deliverable that we wanted to tell everybody go out to moneyguy.com. Mm-hmm. We just want you to register with your your all you have to do. Everything is completely free. We just want your email address so we know who you are, know where you live, so in case we start going out taking this thing on the road, we know where everybody is. But tell them about that deliverable, Bob. Yeah, if you go out to moneyguy.com and go to the resource page, we actually have in there uh, a free deliverable for you. It's the portrait of today's millionaire. It tells you uh, what a millionaire actually looks like. So maybe you can learn a little bit about some of the traits that they exhibit to say, okay, maybe those are some traits that I should exhibit to also uh, move in that direction. And see what you can learn from this. This is completely free. It's out there available. We have tons of resources. We are constantly adding to our resource page. If you've not checked it out, go out there, moneyguy.com, resources, uh, and check out the portrait of today's millionaire. So you're at the end of the show. If this is, I know we still, we pick up new first timers every show we do. You're like, wait a minute. This is the end of the show. Where's the catch? I kept waiting for it. Nope. The catch is this is called the abundance cycle, guys. When you come here, we want you to learn, apply, grow, and we just know we sprinkle enough water of knowledge on you, you're going to reach a level of success that you couldn't even daydream about when you started this journey, but you will reach it. And you're going to say, hey, I can't do this on my own. I'm, I'm too busy. I'm also the, the just how big the materiality of these decisions scares me to death. I need to bring in somebody to help. We're hoping that's where you'll remember 
where you got the all the great knowledge for all the years because we're we, I mean we've been doing this. I had somebody pick on us for because we said two decades. <laughs> we've been doing this since 2006, so we are in our second decade. We have not been doing this two decades, but we have been planting seeds long enough with the abundance cycle that you guys who have graduated college are now leaders or starting mm-hmm. companies, and then we have people who maybe were in middle level management but now are running the show who are reaching out. The abundance cycle works. You know, we want you to come apply, learn, and grow. Reach out. You can go to moneyguy.com, Abound Wealth. We have contact us pages that tell you the next steps. If you haven't checked out our live streams, every other Tuesday we live stream a show just like this. And at the end, we do some Q&As where we are going to answer some questions for you guys. We're going to give away some tumblers. It's the only way that you can get a tumbler right now. You can't even buy this in the merchandise store because we don't have a merchandise store. <laughs> no merch store. Once again, abundance cycle. We're not doing very good at maximizing profit anywhere else. So so go check it out. So make sure you uh, stay tuned for the Q&A. Come hang out with us. We're happy to be a resource for you guys. Thank you so much for allowing us to do this. Uh, we love you guys, and we will talk to you soon. Money Guy team, out. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice.